Welcome to Packet Pushes Heavy Networking. Today's show is sponsored by iTential, and we are taking a glorious swan dive into what I think of as multi-domain automation. Now, the iTential approach is that it reflects the reality of many networks. It's not just about the data center or the WAN or the campus wireless. And the, you, know, you don't really want to have separate SDN tools for each one of these. In the bigger scheme of things, you kind of want to have one tool that automates all those together instead of treating them all as a little baby silo. And iTential is a multi-domain automation system. It's a tool that enables you to start automations. It comes pre-packaged with tools and stuff to help you and get you started on your existing equipment. And then it can expand to embrace more of your network. And it's it's an API-ready system. So if you want to use it to automate your cloud-based systems, maybe you want to got an SD-WAN in place or some sort of cloud-managed remote network monitoring system, you can start using iTential to manage that as well. And that's what makes me interested in this is it's sort of a, I don't know, Ethan, a real-world system rather than sort of this dreamy sort of, yeah, just throw everything out, put this in, start again, you know, spend a whole bunch of money and we'll get it right this time. No, it's it's very practical, Greg. The, the thing I liked about this is the, the 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 real world focus of it, where there's a recognition of your brownfield. There's a recognition that you've probably got some sort of investment in automation already with scripts, uh, mm. perhaps Ansible you're using, uh, perhaps you're in into Netbox, and it isn't the intention of iTension to replace all of the things and require you to do this migration and use it instead, it augments what you've got and then gives you a central point where you can focus your automation processing on kind of the glue that holds the whole system together. I, I, it was a great, uh, uh, great conversation with, uh, with Chris Wade, uh, CTO at iTential, and uh, we hope that you enjoy it. Chris Wade from iTential, welcome to the show. And in a sentence or two, Chris, would you uh, would you tell the nice listeners out there who you are and what you do? Sure. So my name is Chris Wade. I'm the CTO with iTential, and iTential is an automation software company, and I lead our products efforts at iTential. Oh, baby. So an automation <laughs> software company, you bit <laughs> off a huge thing right there. And, yeah. uh, and then you said you're leading products. So not only have you got this huge potential world to be involved with in here within, under the massive umbrella of automation, whatever products you are chosen seem to be uh, your fault. Is that fair to say? I've had something to do with that over the years. So I guess. <laughs> okay. <laughs> well, Chris, give us, the, uh, give us the elevator pitch. In other words, we want to hear in a, kind of a concise paragraph what iTential is. When you guys are at automation, okay, but we need to drill in a little bit so people understand what your product does. So uh, iTential is a platform that unifies different automation efforts. So when we think about different automation strategies, you know, networks are getting more complex. Um, the complexity of the network is making its way into the cloud. So from a product perspective and how our customers adopt the technology, it's really a right tool for the right job. And it's our job to unify those automation efforts and an end-to-end -end platform and, and, and drive that end-to-end -end automation capability. So what I, what I like about Intentional is your multi-domain, multi-vendor. And what I think that is unique about that is a lot of the times we talk about SDN platforms that do automation or we talk about automation and people do the data center or they do some routers or they do some campus stuff or they do some firewall stuff. And the thing about your platform is that you're actually right across all of it. You're not fussed about what domain you're in and you're not fussed about which part of the network or the van render. You've got a tooling to support a wide range of products and functions. Exactly. So when we think about you know, automating of the, the network infrastructure, you know, what is network infrastructure has been changing over the last couple, couple years as we look at virtualization and controllers and orchestrators. 
And the reality is the techniques that people use within each of these domains is, is fairly germane to what that network is. So if people are doing IT, you know, IP automation or if they're doing network applications like DNS or load balance or looking at the cloud, the types of interfaces, the types of data models that spit out, the type of DevOps platforms that people are using are fairly uh, specific to those, to those domains. And the, and the question mm. is, how do we tie those things together? How do I take uh, services mm. that traverse both my on-prem and cloud and traverse different network automation or de- network application domains? How do I stitch that together and provide yeah. a, a network API to my end users? I think it's I think it's important to understand there's a transition happening in networking where once upon a time there was a campus team and a WAN team and a data center team and a firewall team. And the days of those being separate silos are now falling away as ITIL loses its hold to some extent, but mm. certainly as a transition, we're seeing much more. Everybody sees the network as one skill set. And the days of having a different tool for the campus and a different tool for the data center and a different tool for that's that's going away as people merge together. I think that's driving a lot of where you're working. Would you agree with that? For sure. And and you know, when we start thinking about the techniques and the tools in each of those domains, you know, there's skilled operators and skilled engineers in each of those domains that are using a, a specific technique and and the thought that we're gonna rip out, you know, scripts and rip out the DevOps platforms and rip out those different uh, tooling and replace it with some unified automation platform is unrealistic. So the question is, how do we, how do we leverage those tools? How do we not start over? How do we, how do we take the Ansible playbooks and the Ansible modules and the Terraform providers? Um, and how do we tie that together independent of, of the domain and independent of, of the tool that's being used to solve mm-hmm. that automation challenge? What you're saying is there's brownfield there. You're not going to make everybody <laughs> just rip out what they've got, Chris. Exactly. Exactly. And, and, you know, to Greg's point, you know, the network automation and network management tooling has, has historically been very verticalized. So everybody would have a tool on their desktop. Everybody would have connect to the routers, connect to the switches. And, you know, if you look at a network device in your network, it's connected by all sorts of platforms. Somebody's pulling it for topology. Somebody's pulling it for performance and alarming and making changes. And then there's obviously uh, people on the CLI. And the question is, how do we how do we leverage the tools as mediation platforms for each of those domains and start to focus on building the best network management applications instead of everybody having to, to rebuild those interfaces to each of these network elements? And we're talking about this as if it's like a past tense paradigm of the way IT used, used to operate. You know, Remember the vertical silo days way back when? Come on, <laughs> a lot of people are still operating exactly that way. So yeah, we do have to, to face up and yeah. interact with those existing tools. Yeah, I, and I think Ethan, the, the answer to that is yes, but a lot of the people can see the, the silo collapsing. And if I'm an IT manager now, I want to see one platform across my network. I don't want to go to a vendor for one for this and one for that and have to make four purchasing decisions. A lot of the times where I think potential really fits is I want to do so, a bit of automation in the campus and get started. I want to do a bit of automation in the data center. I don't want to have to go through these mega SDN acquisition cycles and sit through dozens of hours. I, I think potential has got a really soft way in. Is that sort of your approach? You know, the velocity of change in the network, I think everybody can agree is, is ever increasing. And the tooling that is existing and, you know, people adopting SD-WAN platforms, people adopting cloud-first technologies, you know, the question is, is how do we fold this into those existing efforts? Because we, you know, nobody wants to take a step back to take two steps forward. It's, it's how do I take my existing environment and how do I create a situation where I can onboard these new technologies and actually get the value from them rather than splitting it? 
Chris, another question for you related to that is, um, you know, while the some of the vertical stuff, the ver different silos still exist, there is a unification of IT process that uh, cloud has brought us where people that used to live in their little disciplines now have to interact with one another in order to get that application delivered successfully and have the networking done well and have storage plumbed up correctly and have there be a, a security model that can be audited properly and uh, you know, and matched up. And automation has come to bear here where uh, when you go to stand up that application, you, you're relying on automated processes to bring all of the different parts that used to be a human in a silo building it, and now it's it, it's being automated. Is that, uh, again, we keep talking about what, what you do, but I mean, I, I see you fitting in there. And I think most people focus on the actual config change of the IT infrastructure and specifically the network. But when we look at the actual process, as you said, there's all sorts of systems involved, right? I have to talk to my IPAM systems. I have to talk to my change management systems. And if, if we, I think we've, we've been very focused on the network change, which is super critical. Uh, but when we look at the time and effort involved and the velocity of change being requested and that ultimate end user being an application owner or somebody else re requesting network service, if we can automate that larger scale you know, you said compute and storage, but also the rest of the IT infrastructure, uh, that's going to be critical to supplying that network API to those end users so they can see the true benefit of large-scale automation. So, Chris, give us a, a more detail then on what the ITential platform actually is, because we, we've hinted at it. You've mentioned multi-vendor, multi-domain. You've mentioned being able to interact with some of the stuff you've already got, uh, scripts and maybe Ansible playbooks and, you know, whatever else. So, can you can you articulate in a concise way what what exactly this is it a box is it a, a service what what is itential so it's a software platform uh, that really merges together two major themes and concepts uh, one is generic automation so to automate things we have adapters to all sorts of systems and we can talk about that and then there's a state machine which defines the end to end process so we can connect all those adapters to all those end systems and then the second part is really the network applications. And that's the specific network capabilities and knowledge. So that it's not just a generic automation platform. It actually understands networking concepts. So it understands what a pre-check or a post-check. It understands how to speak uh, Yang or Tosca. So you know the, the modern kind of network ecosystem has really centered around a couple themes from a technology standpoint. It's the DevOps platforms, it's the orchestrators and controllers, and it's really a move towards HTTP-based interfaces. So the platform understands out of the box how to talk to all those things, and it provides a low-code environment where users can define the end-to-end -end automation leveraging all of the automations that they already have today. So I think just to really put that concisely, it sounds like if I'm the operator, I'm on the administrator engineering side, I talk to Itential, Itential talks to all my stuff. And you've got all of these different interfaces that are going to allow uh, that you you understand that I don't have to understand anymore. I just need to deal with Itential and Itential deals with everything that's downstream. Is that about right? That's right. But we want to make sure that we are you know supporting the teams that have chosen those other platforms. So uh, you know, somebody might have a NetBox implementation for Source of Truth. Somebody might have, um, you know, an Ansible ecosystem. Somebody might have be adopting SD-WAN. So there's still that localized automation to those specific components. And then providing that, that kind of end-to-end -end concept allows the organization to push out kind of a, a single API to the rest of the IT system and the rest of the application owners so we can kind of harness all of that automation in a concise way. 
I guess it, what you're saying there indirectly, and I think you sort of had some nice words there, but if I can break it down, I think what I heard sure. you saying was you've got a certain amount of tooling, uh, but the customer has to do some of the work themselves because you're, when you have a general purpose platform that can spread across a wide range, although you can provide Yang interfaces and CLI for certain types of devices and things like that, I still have to do some of the work to make that programming work. It's not, whereas if I've got a, a prepackaged SDN that's just for the data center, they narrow down on just doing data center things and so they can do more of the work for you. Is that a, a fair statement or is it wrong in some way? So it's definitely fair, but I definitely would like to talk about how we address that. So there, there's an expectation from end users today to provide an ecosystem of examples and starting points and best practices. So we've worked diligently. Um, we have a developer site where we post and a GitLab repo where we post all of the out-of-the-box adapters. And this is really a big deal to us in the sense that the, the landscape and the ability to automate today isn't like what it was even five years ago. Um, the, the interfaces that are coming from modern network platforms uh, provide robust interfaces, which allow us to auto-generate these integrations. So previously, we'd have to have a developer you know, sit down and, and build an integration, and three weeks later, we'd spit out an integration to a device or a platform, and now we can auto-generate those adapters. So we've taken the approach of actually putting up a Kubernetes service where people can build their own adapters, and we've open-sourced all those adapters so people can basically take the platform, download the adapters for their given environment, and then start to download specific use cases, and as we call them, artifacts, uh, for you know downloading mm. things like software upgrade or the typical yeah. types of network engineering uh, so there's two there's two sides of that. What you're saying is the tools are available for you to do it for yourself, um, and you're going to help us as much as possible to be able to do it ourselves. You don't have I don't have to suddenly get into some closed login proprietary area where I have to engage an engineer or reseller. It's all there for me. I don't have to go via some arcane restricted channel just to get to the basics. You got it. You know, yeah. every environment has a different combination of stuff, and 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 the thought that there's going to be a rigid verticalized application um, that can solve all those challenges independently is, is, is far-fetched. And, and the idea is we want to use everything you got. We want to integrate into those things. We want you to have an ecosystem mm. of, of, of those integrations you can pull down. Yeah, and, and, you, you, and you want people to use it. Like one of the problems that I have for some vendors is there's like this barrier. I have to jump over a wall and crawl through a tunnel mm. and I have to have a special login that's only gifted to a few and they charge for each login or some arcane process just to be able to get access to the documentation on how to get something. And what you're saying is it's just there in the open. Why would you make it a secret? Put it on GitHub. Because we, we you know, the, the, the specific ability to, to, to leverage modern network interfaces, um, you know, we write it once and then, each provider is publishing their own format of their own interfaces. So yeah. the, the advent of open API specs and Swagger specs and the move towards JSON schema has really, um, you know, it's not that previously when we built these platforms, there weren't smart people trying to build um, intelligent platforms. It's the fact that the network infrastructure is modernizing to the point where it is now becoming programmable and we need to take oh, yeah. advantage of that capability and, and start to leverage the way we've been operating, but we can really modernize our operations because the platforms and the network infrastructure actually allows us to do it now. One of the things you said that really ties a lot of this together, I believe, Chris, is you said unified API, that Itential is offering a unified API here. Can you dive into exactly what that means? I think that's really gonna cement this, uh, what your platform does for folks. 
So if, if we're talking to a set of switches in a data center, if we're speaking to um, some cloud APIs for you know, VPCs and VNets, um, and we're talking to network applications for DNS and load balancer, just you know, a variety of types of use cases and interfaces. If an application owner is deploying an application and they want some bandwidth, they want to update uh, a VIP, they want to do those things, they don't have to necessarily crack open a spreadsheet, um, email three different people. They don't have to understand the APIs to three different systems. They can have basically what we call an automation catalog where they can pick and choose and through an API, um, they can pick and choose what requests to the network can handle. And then from an itential standpoint, you know, we publish that out in a, in a, in a REST-based way that application owners are very comfortable with. And then on the back end, if we have to transform that data into a package for a given controller or orchestrator or cloud platform, um, we handle the authentication, we handle the, the API consumption, we handle the, the data formatting so that those end users can, can consume and use network resources on demand. The unified API then gives me a single point of, of control. You said you publish it out in, in a REST-based way. So I've got an itential REST API that I can call. And no matter what the resources are on the back end that I'm consuming, you're taking the information that I feed into you. I'm, I'm sending you information via that API of what I want to do. You'll translate that into a variety of different platforms on the back end to accomplish the thing it is I'm trying to accomplish. Like you gave an example of a, a switching and just provisioning some bandwidth. Exactly. And it even gets in most environments, we find out that people have uh, multiple instances of each of these types of automations. So uh, there's generally not one engine uh, for the entire environment. They might have localized automation within their cloud premise. They might have localized automation within their data center. And the way it operates today is that people have to understand which system they need to go to to make which request to which platform. And that network API extends not just to the variety of infrastructure, but we also can keep track of which devices and which automations are localized within each of those environments. So we'll route it to the correct place for execution. So the end user just has to go again back to that generic network API and not be concerned with either the implementation specific details or even where that might be located. Okay. So I can either put my Ansible underneath Itential. So Itential can call an existing Ansible automation script if I've gone down that path, or I can put Ansible above Itential and then use Itential's capabilities as a function to call as part of an Ansible script. Correct. Or Python or Go or whatever your favorite fashion for language and, or automation tooling happened to be. Correct. And, and at the same time, we can coordinate that activity across your variety of sources of truth, uh, whether they be CMDB or uh, NetBox. Um, or, and we can also coordinate that amongst processes. And uh, we're also integrated with your authorization system. Um, you know, one of the barriers to automating a lot of times is who do I want to allow to do what on the, on the network, right? Uh, if I write a script or a playbook or other Mm, yeah. um, you know, that's, that's my localized script. And I, and I know when I run it, what's going to happen. If I start providing that as a network API to the rest of the enterprise, I start to think who needs to do this and when can they do it? And how do I coordinate those activities and how do I make sure I document it? We've been talking a lot about like kind of configuration or provisioning oriented tasks. That's contextually, at least what's been in my mind, but are there more pieces of this that Itential does, Chris? Like, um, 
Uh, would we say this is lifecycle management? Would we say there's monitoring or reporting that goes on in the Itential platform? It's good to help us understand what it does and also maybe what it doesn't do. So we don't do discovery. We don't do topology. Um, we generally connect to those other systems. So we envision a day of, of less verticalization and more platforming for this. I think if we look at our peer groups and other infrastructure management and infrastructure automation domains. Uh, this is how it will apply to networking specifically. So we have back to that large array of, of adapters and integrations. We integrate with topology and inventory systems. We integrate with uh, performance management and, and telemetry platforms. Because at the end of the day, we're providing this end-to-end -end automation and uh, the quality of your automation is going to be dependent upon quality of sources of truth and the quality of decision-making data. So it's, it's really about having access to those platforms and making it easy to integrate so that as we start to move from a human-centric mindset within the network to a machine-first mindset, the question is how much data can we provide these automated mechanisms so that we can make the highest quality decisions over time. Now, you said decisions. So for people that are thinking, wait a minute, does the potential platform make decisions for me? Is there some kind of logic in there, a policy engine that can make certain things happen as it sits there in the middle between all these different devices and automation solutions? So today the, the, the process is defined based upon the operational data that you provide it, but the day of, of AI bots um, you know, running these independently without predefined uh, rules is still, is still a little bit a ways. Oh, um, but <laughs> <laughs> exactly. But but the the network intelligence component is is an area we're really focused on. So when you when we think about what it means to make changes to a network element, it's really broken down into uh, configuration. Uh, a lot of times, day zero and day one, things that don't change very much. Um, and then you kind of have some lifecycle components, things that change a lot. Things we talked about like VIPs and DNS and eVPNs and VPC configuration. And then we have policy configuration, which is uh, you know, predefined, but applied on a variety of devices like ACLs and, and firewalls. So we do have those specific applications built into the platform to complement this integration and automation platform. And that really provides that context. So, you know, should I run compliance and should this, uh, you know, NTP server be configured or is it out of compliance? I, I can concern myself with those things when I'm making those automated decisions. So it's not mm. blindly stepping through processes. It still has that network context um, as well as the external systems, but the machines, the machines have not taken over yet. <laughs> okay. So I, I can't, I can't go to the potential platform and say, stand me up a leaf spine network, go forth, uh, you know, or provision my SD-WAN to do magic. I mean, I'm actually, I need to build the policy. I need to build the logic into the platform. Um, potential is just giving me a, you know, a, a great way to interact with everything that I've got to make all of that happen. You know, kind of the, the central touch point to everything is that, you know, am I, am I, is that fair to say that it, I can't just say go forth and build a leaf spine network or whatever? Yeah, I think I think that's that's unrealistic based upon where we're at with the market and customers. And I think most people have already predefined a whole lot of golden configs. They've already predefined the process by which they push changes to the network. And, and the question is, how do I scale what I've done? How do I enlarge my automation to engage with the rest of the enterprise and, and basically take what I've done and allow end users to make changes uh, on the fly? Now, wait a minute. You just, wait a minute, wait, wait, wait. You just said make and allow end users to make changes on the fly. Okay, my heart went in my throat. I freaked out. I'm starting to get sweaty now. Um, 
So I think you've actually brought this up before. Maybe it just sunk into my brain. Um, the service catalog aspect and, you know, and end users, consumers of the infrastructure, you know, whether they're end users, developers, whoever they are. So I think there's another point we need to make here is that as an engineering team, I can create services, I can create modules that I want someone who is not in the traditional networking silo to be able to consume and have that chunk of infrastructure get stood up for them. Is that true? You know, from an intentional standpoint, we believe we're kind of in the trust and confidence business uh, with automation. Um, you know, I see a lot of discussions around does automation break things faster? Um, you know, how do I how do I scale this uh, with some reasonable risk applied? So the question is, if I can actually model what the change is to the network and what I do, you know, I pre-check this, I post-check that, I make sure it's an add or a modify, I make sure it's not going to have destructive behavior. If I go through that process, then then why can't we put that into software and why can't I have, you know, the computer automate those steps that are reasonable? And as an end user application owner, th that's what I've come to know and love from a lot of the cloud services is the ability to do that. And something that I think is quite interesting is that when we see people provide end users the ability to make those changes, uh, we actually see the usage of those network services go up. So, you know, if I'm an application owner and I have to fill out a spreadsheet and email the, the network engineering team for a change and it takes five days, I might do that at the end of my application cycle. But if I'm able to add and modify, maybe we don't go with the deletes out of the box because we don't want to have destructive behavior within the platform. But what we'll see is those application owners will put it in their developer pipeline and they'll actually use the service on, on, on a regular basis. So we see, we see usage of the network correlated for sure with the level of automation provided. Okay, you're hitting on something huge here because, of course, shadow IT for years has been driven in part by developers going up to the cloud because they can swipe a credit card, get all the stuff they need, including infrastructure backend provisioning with no hassle, as opposed to what you just said, going to their IT team, putting in a ticket. It's going to take days or maybe even weeks to get it um, through. And oh, who wants that headache? So you're making the point. Not that, me. Uh, Not me. <laughs> <laughs> You're making the point, Chris, that that Itential is uh, allowing me to consume my own physical resources in my own data center in a cloud-like way. And I think you know, from a from a networking perspective, we've 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 spent a tremendous amount of time, uh, you know, focused on data plane and control plane innovation. You know, I think you guys do a a lot of shows on SD WAN, uh, cloud first, multi cloud network capabilities and 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 all of these things are transforming how we deploy applications and our and our future capabilities and i think as a as a group we've we've underserved kind of the management plane how we operate and how do we consume these technologies and uh, the reality is that you know as as we start to move in this direction there's so many more options that we didn't have before and the the ability to have an end user add and modify things without the the perceived risk of negative impact mm. to the rest of the infrastructure is real I mean, there's there's mm. there's way more guardrails available to us today, um, yeah. to to allow. This I like I'd like to think that I could put intentional in and just only have one change request. I'm adding intentional to the network, and then I could write all the automations I want without ever having to submit another change request. Like that's how you bypass the change board and get stuff done instead of futzing around all day. Exactly. <laughs> you got it. <laughs> Sorry, I, I spent a lot of time in my life trying to work around the change board, like how to get changes <laughs> in with that. <laughs> get it out, like Craig. That. Just let it out, buddy. We feel you. <laughs> no, we all have the pain. Those of us who've been, you know, ITIL, you know, beaten down, beaten down by ITIL. That's it's the truth. 
but, but having a tool that does the change for you and does give you the assistance so you can't make mistakes it's a step in that direction you only need the change board because things go wrong but if you've got tools that help you not make mistakes then all of a sudden change boards are irrelevant no you've hit, you've hit on a point for sure i mean the mindset historically with the change board which i think is still valid is that you know we're trying to evaluate risk and we're trying to mitigate risk and if something goes wrong we want to make sure that the blast radius of that risk is 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 reasonable and managed and known but if we can put guardrails and have a reasonable amount of operational automation not just the automation of the network change but the the automation of of the coordination of activities then we can we can manage that risk to a point where certain activities are, are allowed to, to to bypass that rigid process. Obviously, there's certain activities updating uh, core routing infrastructure, um, depending upon the amount of failover, is something that we need to talk about. Um, but application centric uh, stuff or reasonable changes to bandwidth and QoS parameters are things that that with the appropriate amount of of automation and operational focus, we can start to move forward with those things. Mm. Chris, how long have you guys been around? I think there's a lot of people that have heard, never heard of you before. So are you new on the scene? or? So we started in January of 2014. And uh, the history is that we really saw the move from human-centric automation to programmability. And it started off with kind of the open source SDN controller ecosystem and some of the early open flow specifications. And we felt like our role was to provide applications to drive the adoption of controllers and orchestrators. And the, the reality is that you know, some of those uh, generic orchestration platforms um, have not made their way into kind of broad-based enterprise. But what, what I find super interesting is the fact that those technologies have made their way into kind of most of modern network solutions that we're implementing today. So, um, you know, you can't buy an SD-WAN without a controller. Uh, most cloud infrastructure, most cloud-first multi-cloud networking platforms, even down to data center technologies are using uh, controllers and centralized control back to some of the investments on the control plane. So, um, you know, the original intent was to build applications for those uh, generic controllers and orchestrators, but it's almost been um, come full circle in the sense that there's, instead of two or three of these platforms, mm. now customers have many, many platforms, which almost drives even more need to be able to coordinate um, and integrate yeah. these platforms together. It comes back to what I was saying about multi-domain, just because you know, if you end up with an SDN controller over here in the campus and another one over here in the WAN, you might want to bring them together and actually do the same thing together. And the SD-WAN thing in the cloud isn't going to be able to talk to your campus controller. And sometimes there's not really an appreciation for the fact that there is these new domains being deployed. When we get a new SD-WAN platform and it comes with, with, a, with a web UI and I can, I can log in and do stuff on it, um, it doesn't come with a CLI. It doesn't really necessarily register yeah. with everybody yeah. that I have this new yeah. network thing. Um, and a lot of times, uh, you know, the network engineering teams and the cloud networking teams might even be separate. Um, so yeah. the idea yeah. that yeah. these are similar or the same, or how do I coordinate and collaborate amongst these platforms, I think is becoming a reality for most people today. I think you hit on a good point there too, is a lot of these cloud-based services that operate things, like I'm thinking of small business, you know, that, the, the Meraki's and the Arubas and so forth that put, they have these remote distributed type stuff where you do the Wi-Fi and a, and a small router and they're managed by a central cloud platform. There are APIs to control those platforms or to control those so that you don't actually have to, you know, go and log into a web browser and clicky, clicky, clicky. You can actually do automation on top of those systems as well with a tool from Itential. Exactly. And, uh, 
you know, sales spot, those, those types of adapters are, you know, on that GitLab uh, repo and downloadable that we were talking before. And when you start thinking about deploying these, these new networks, if people are, are shipping those out to branches, you know, the, the automation of just the Meraki API is one component. You know, you think about shipping the box, you think about, you know, tracking it across UPS and FedEx, you think about pushing the day zero config, uh, applying policy, um, you know, sending a notification for somebody in the local store to plug it in so it can phone home. Um, there's all these there's all these opportunities to automate the entire process, you know, that are, that our customers mm, are looking mm, at. Yeah, because a lot of those tools aren't integrated even with things like if you've got a help desk system, you know, like a ServiceNow or whatever. Sometimes you can snap those systems, you know, an SD-WAN into a ServiceNow via a connector, but sometimes you might have to do it yourself. You might want to do it manually instead, and Itential could be a way to do that too. That's right, and you're seeing a lot of those platforms reach out and build integration ecosystems you know, with, with some of the SaaS platforms like a Zscaler for policy. Yeah. But the, the, the idea is that the, the, the innovation and the velocity of change and the, and the variety of, of capabilities that, that people are expecting um, from both their you know, infrastructure and their application teams is going to be ever expansive. So it's really about how do we coordinate all of these automation activities um, so that it's, we can use the right tool for the right job, but still stay loosely coupled and coordinated so that we can provide that that automation to our actual end user, but have the flexibility to innovate in each of these domains independently, uh, without the the historical you know rip and replace and uh, change in strategies. Chris, have you got a use case story? In other words, you've been around since 2014. You've you got to you know product and platform, and now you're you're really pushing it there. So you must have a customer story or two that you can share where um, there are some battle scars and uh, you help them overcome that misery, uh, et cetera. Tell us a story, Chris. So uh, I think, you know, uh, it's easy to talk about the network services that get deployed. It's easy to talk about kind of the scale of, of deployment that's possible with automation. Um, but I think some of the most interesting stories outside of just kind of the top 15 or 20 use cases is really about, you know, how do we, how do we coordinate and collaborate um, through automation? How, how do I have my, my network engineers and how do I have my DevOps personnel with pipelines and how do I have um, my development teams work together um, to provide these these end-to-end -end automation? So when Itential is deployed, it becomes that, that central hub for automation that allows that diverse group to come together. And I think there's been a lot of discussion around how we make, uh, you know, we need to have uh, network engineers uh, be retrained as, as software developers. And uh, while that is all awesome and true, um, to get the most out of automation, we need kind of the big tent. We need the, the largest uh, amount of participation in, in the greater automation um, because automation kind of builds on itself. So um, when we start talking about integrating with the systems, we start talking about augmenting with some infrastructure as code, which I know you guys talk about, and how do I engage um, my development community in, in building this automation? That's when we see the, the most uh, benefit to thinking about the end-to-end -end automation. So what's the, what's the engagement process then? If I rock up to Itential, I, I buy in, I believe this is going to work for me. Is there you know an integration process where I spend time with an Itential engineer or two that uh, help me get my system online integrated and you know understand the new workflow and the processes and such? The goal is um, once once you uh, deploy the software that you would pick which interfaces you needed to which systems. Hopefully, most of which are already available for download. Um, you pick a handful of the use cases, uh, 
which are already there for download, and then apply you know your specific business logic and the integration with with the automation that you have. So, from our perspective, our goal is to be totally public with with everything that's available. So. Outside of our commercial website, we're pretty proud of our developer website, which has all of our documentation, all of the release notes, all of the adapters, all of the user guides, <laughs> et cetera, as well as training and enablement. So, you know, providing a, a 101 class that somebody can get started with um, and then gaining access to the software. So from our perspective, we're trying to make it as easy as possible to you know, consume the technology and, uh, and have predefined integrations with the platforms uh, that exist within your enterprise. Something else that was really important in what you said there, Chris, was you know, pick a use case or two. You didn't say, and there's going to be a cutover day where all of a sudden everything now flows through the itential box. It, you, it's, you're going to pick a few problems you want to solve and you know, tackle those and then add more over time. Exactly. So from, from our perspective, um, you know, some of the nerdy stuff is, is we really focus on federation of these platforms. So long is the day, uh, you know, where we take copies of data and centralize it all in one place. So that concept of federation allows us to really be a power user of all these systems. So when you go talk to those systems, you know, historically, when you integrated stuff, whoever was integrated said, you know, I'm now the source of truth for this. You can't go make the changes in those other systems. So by being federated um, and being that power user, you know, we can pick and choose which use cases and pick and choose which components we want to automate into the to the subtending systems that are getting it. They just see a huge high volume um, coming from the iTential platform. So, hmm. you know, the, the idea that that we're going to plug in and, and take over um, engineering and operations in, in one fail swoop is is unrealistic and, and, and not how customers want to adopt automation. But the velocity of change is such that that, that that after people do two or three, uh, very quickly, there's a list of, of 20 or 25 uh, on deck. Mm. It is a real transition, though, to start thinking about using a piece of middleware. It's almost like um, a piece of middleware that sits between you and the network. And most people think uh, have a sort of an all-in approach to it. That is, I've got to depend on it for everything, and it should do all the things, and I shouldn't have to do anything. And I think the reality is of any SDM platform and of potential, especially, is that you have to spend time working with it to make it do what you want because everybody has a slightly different setup. We all use the same tools, but we all use them slightly differently. And that transition from CLI to API or CLI to, to prepared scripts is very, is difficult, I think, for most people, don't you think? For sure. Um, and that's that's why uh, you probably heard from a few times today on the whole you know, let's let's take what you got. Um, let's mm. let's bring your own automation. Let's let's not start over. Let's not learn a new language to get started. So, you know, how can we take what you already have, which obviously you already know and are comfortable with, and how do we start plugging it into the rest of of the system so we can automate the part that wasn't being automated? Mm. And part part of the back end on this um, for the believability factor is just that you know these systems are are moving towards. A JSON data payload, and it's moving towards HTTP interfaces. And um, you know, for the software developers out there, the you know, once once we start standardizing on that type of capability, it's going to allow us to provide these integrations without without a whole lot of code. So you know, we really think the future of this integration layer and, and middleware, as you said, is really one where JSON schema, which is a modeling yeah. language for JSON, yeah. will really provide that glue so that we can really treat these components as puzzle pieces and really provide uh, kind of a snap in and snap out capability so that you don't have the traditional rigid 
structure where people are concerned about yeah. making changes. We need to create a very dynamic, real-time environment. And, and the technology, you know, if, if, if I can say one thing to everybody, it's the technology is such that now is the time that can happen. I think, I think one of the interesting things about this is I was chatting to someone the other day and he said the transition from CLI to using automation, he said it was so much more satisfying because instead of just doing the same old thing at the command line every day, he was spending much of his time setting it up and then it repeats. And it was much more satisfying working with the automation platform to get what he wanted to do done instead of just typing the same old commands over and over and over. And he had a, a much better sense of why he was doing something instead of just well, if I type this, this is what happened. Because it made him sit down and think about the fundamental reason as to why I was doing it and to think about the workflow and the purpose rather than if I type this command and that command and if I do this and if I do that, then it'll all work sort of thing. Yeah, and, and one thing to add on to that that's super interesting is um, when we start to move from what I can do on the CLI to what I can put in an automation, um, the complexity of the automation grows rapidly pretty quickly because um, historically we've been constrained by what I can do in a maintenance window for a given job. So I can read so many show commands. I can run my scripts to get my operational data. I can scan it. You know, I, I know what's happening. Uh, but once we start to uh, let the machine take on some of that uh, repeatable functionality, um, you know, instead of running 10 show commands, the computer can run, I don't know, a hundred, um, just yeah. because they can. So things that might have been less important can now be done in an automated fashion. So the the complexity of the change is it actually drives up significantly the quality and that back to that risk mitigation. When we're you know yeah. we're bored, yeah. we're trying to we're trying to box in the risk, uh, but once we program uh, some of the operational capabilities into the platform, we actually mitigate risk by doing more machine first mindset for these repeatable tasks. Well, Chris, I want to thank you for sharing Itential and what it does with us. I feel like I'm walking with a pretty clear idea. And, and the thing of it is, I've spent a bunch of time on your site. And I know there's a lot more that we didn't even get to that Itential can do. We really focused on um, you know, the, the, the automation and integration with existing systems, the multi-domain aspect, and so on. So anyway, folks, if you're listening, there is a lot more to Itential, even beyond what we said, which is plenty. So, uh, Chris, handing back to you, if uh, people want to find out more, where should they go? Awesome. So we, we put a landing page for Packet Pushers at itential.com slash Packet Pushers, which will have some links from the topics today. And I'd also encourage uh, anyone interested to go to our developer site. So that's developer.itential.io. So um, outside of the commercial website that has a lot of resources, that developer site is going to have access to all of our documentation, all of our API guides, all the things I referenced today, which uh, you know links to our GitLab repos with all of our uh, open source components. And then you can find us at the upcoming events. We'll, we'll definitely be at the, the ONUG events this year, um, both in the spring and fall, and at Cisco Live US and also at Ansible Fest. Ooh, Cisco Live US. You're going to be there, huh? Okay. <laughs> that uh, You'll be in the, the, what is it, the world of solutions, right, they call it? We'll have to come find you uh, out there. Because, uh, Greg, we might be at Cisco Live too. No promises yet, but, uh, but we're thinking no about it, aren't we? Yeah, we are yeah. thinking about it. We always think about it. We'll make a decision closer to the time. Mm -hmm. Awesome. Well, thanks again, Chris, and uh, to Itential for sponsoring today's uh, Packet Pushers episode. Uh, Heavy Networking is uh, one of many fine free technical podcasts uh, that you can find all at packetpushers.net. This isn't the only show we do, folks. There's lots of them out there, like uh, Day 2 Cloud that I do with Ned Bellavance, where we get into 
the nerdy weeds of, uh, of cloud operations and such. If you want to know more about us, uh, keep up with what we're doing. Follow us on Twitter at Packet Pushers. We're on LinkedIn, too, if you like that. And last but not least, remember that too much networking would never be enough. <laughs>